This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, I bring to you Jeff Horrell, who's the head of Refinitiv Labs from London within the London Stock Exchange Group. Jeff and I have connected through Refinitiv. Refinitiv is a global player in data APIs and the alternative data space. Many of our listeners know that I'm very big in both the fintech and the data space. I've actually attended with Refinitiv their developer days in New York City, as well as the open source strategy forum where they participated with open source data science technology. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Well, I'm really excited to hear about where Refinitiv is today. I know there's a lot of exciting changes in 2021. Can you tee up for our audience where Refinitiv is today, Refinitiv Labs, and your growth with the London Stock Exchange Group? Yeah, it really is a very interesting time. What you're seeing now is we have Refinitiv, which was a global provider of data and workflow solutions. And, you know, as you said, APIs and somebody, we were really, really to reach out to the developer community who wanted to get more data into their applications and drive, you know, their strategies within wealth management, investment management, you know, trading, uh, risk, these, all these different sectors that, that we were serving. And then I guess, there was an opportunity to come together with the London Stock Exchange Group where they add an extra dimension to that sort of data and workflow business where, you know, obviously people are familiar perhaps with the London Stock Exchange running a venue. So, you know, companies listing on the exchange, trading on that exchange. And there's a great demand for people to see, well, how can I access not just, you know, equity market like London Stock Exchange Group, but also 
the fixed income trading market, which actually Refinitiv provided, and FX trading marketplace, which Refinitiv provided. Uh, so now you can see these different elements coming together. And then that's on the kind of, you know, research your trade with the data, trade on the market with those solutions. And now the other part of London Stock Exchange Group is the London Clearing House, which is the kind of post-trade. So once the trades have been done, making sure things settle up and are cleared. And so really, we're now serving the whole sort of financial ecosystem in one company, which, I mean, it's exciting from a market service and growth opportunity, but as somebody who loves data, I'm a data geek at heart, you know, all that amazing data that we now have access to within the labs in particular, we're very excited about. So being able to build new kinds of analytics and, and really service customers at each part of their investment life cycle is something that's keeping us in the labs very busy and uh, keeping us really excited. I find it very exciting because knowing the history of Refinitiv being a former Thomson Reuters company and being focused on both North America, Europe, and the global markets, it's almost coming back to the roots and growing from there and seeing how many people in the financial world know this, but not everyone else does, is that London is still the center of finance. I know when we think about Brexit and the industry, everyone says, London's done. I say, no, it's not. I was just in London before the pandemic at Hyde Park in, in January 2020, my last major trip before the pandemic. And I mean, business was booming. And it sounds like now is a great time for continued global expansion. You know, that's right. I think even though it's called the London Stock Exchange Group, right? It's, you know, we're serving customers all around the world. And in fact, again, London's a great place to be because you kind of have one foot in the Asia time zone and one foot in the, the North America time zone. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with our, our colleagues in Singapore. We have a lab in Singapore and there, those fantastic growth markets there. And, you know, we're, one of the things we can do now is maybe bring some of the assets that London Stock Exchange Group has, right? The FTSE Russell indices, for example, bring them together with the refinitive data and that, that sort of reach into Asia. And, and actually our footprint is kind of equal actually between Asia, Europe and the Americas. But London is a great place to be and yeah, it's not going anywhere. Uh, we're still here. And thinking about technology, it's so fascinating as you described that these labs are everywhere and it's an exciting time to be part of labs. I recently got back from a multi-month trip at the start of 2021, where I was in Taiwan, seeing how Asia has grown with data and technology and privacy as a result of the pandemic. And prior to that, having been involved with different evidence-based labs and data science labs in the United States, seeing how the world is one ecosystem, whether remote, distributed, or in-person, so taking this back to Refinitiv Labs, what's cooking today? What's happening with new projects and technology? As you said, there's lab, you know, different labs doing different kinds of things. So some labs out there are really, you know, maybe partnering with fintech to kind of like, you know, incubate them and grow them and, and things like that, and some accelerator type functions. We don't really do that as much in, in Refinitiv Labs. We do have fintech partnerships. Uh, but our focus in the labs is sort of partnering with our existing business units and sort of bringing to them our experience and knowledge of, as you said, what's happening in the global world of technology. So, you know, big tech, we talk about all the cloud providers, all the different tools, machine learning tools, new ways of managing data. And as incredibly, we see something like a tool set from LinkedIn, like Kafka, 
and you know that's designed to help manage you know streaming data for that use case. We're saying, hey, why, why don't we bring that in, and can that help us with some of the work we're doing with streaming data, with streaming financial data? And so we sort of bring some of that open source world into, you know, maybe uh, sort of core bits of our business. So that education. Also, we one of the things we partner with our business units on is just thinking differently about how you break down a problem. Uh, and that's the kind of full service part of labs. You have user experience, we do customer research, and we sort of bring that, that lean startup, which probably many of your listeners are, are familiar with, approach, which is you know, build something rapidly, just test it with a few customers and iterate rapid, you know, quickly. And the financial markets isn't the kind of place where normally people do that, right? It, 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 you know, highly regulated, people are very cautious about taking new things out. But actually what you've seen also is our customers have changed. So the customers expect great customer experience in their applications. Even if not, they're not consumer applications or kind of enterprise applications, they still want to have a great user experience, fit with their workflow, and of course, increasingly have you know really rich, personalized data experiences within those applications. So as an example, some of the things that we've done uh, in the labs recently, we focus on, well, within the buy side, um, you know, big asset managers are overwhelmed with research documents and got to read all this research, process it, understand what's going on. So the question is, well, can we make that workflow better? Can we break down the themes that are driving the underlying research? And can we score them with sentiment so that you can kind of see what's important, what's not important? And so we've built within the labs a completely new workflow around that. It's called Sentimine, and we've been taking that out and testing that with customers at an early stage. And then based on that user feedback, we sort of push that through into our, our normal product launch process. And then within, and that was been that was done out of our Singapore lab, great project there. In our London lab, we did some similar work where, again, we thought we're obviously trying to deliver data, but this growth in the data science community and that maturing of the data science community, like how do we reach this you know, important customer base in a different way? And so, again, we've said, well, how did data science work? What do they need? What do they care about? And so we built a capability called the Data Science Accelerator, which um, basically makes sa- large sample data large sample sets of data available with tutorials, with examples, with Jupyter notebooks, with kind of on, you know, easy, you know, we don't have to worry about compute or cloud access or anything. It just works. So one of the barriers we found with data scientists was they want access not just to a small sample of data, but they want a lot of data. And they maybe haven't come from the financial community. So they don't know how to use some of that financial data. So again, bringing that together so that they can kind of test their hypothesis show it to their boss and go, hey, I really need this data set and I can prove to you why it works before you've had to go through a whole sort of lengthy trial and provisioning and, and environment provisioning process. So both thinking about workflows and also thinking about changes in our business model of how we kind of reach customers so they can kind of you know benefit from this sort of high quality you know, financial data. So all kinds of exciting things going on in the labs right now. And I love how when you're framing this, Jeff, on workflows, you know, you can think about the start of a project, planning, experimentation, 
organizing data for augmentation with the data science accelerator, but then taking that further with pipelines using technology like Kafka and sentiment analysis with your sentiment solutions, you're bringing everything together, whether they're starting out as experimentations or projects that are in development, they can become full products for the marketplace. And you've seen firsthand so many of these products, both in-house with proprietary technology, as well as open source technology. And one thing I've seen as well in 2020 and 2021, that data science as a service is going mainstream. The tools and technology are always changing, but the strategy is still consistent for workflows. And we've seen data scientists respond and share what they've seen as some of the latest and greatest. We were talking before the episode about uh, one of the surveys that you ran last year to discover what do data scientists think is important for them. Uh, Can you share with our audience a little bit about why Refinitiv ran this survey with data scientists, your customers, your partners, and let's start unpacking some things that were discovered. Yeah, thanks, David. It's such an interesting thing to do because we're putting the survey out as practitioners. So part of it is like, we're just curious right, about what what are our sort of colleagues in the data science industry in, in finance doing. But it's also so fascinating to see how you know, like I think in consumer retail or in, in other areas or ad tech, you know, data scientists have been around and, and doing you know great stuff for a long time. But in financial services, it's, it's a different kind of story. And so that evolution of big firms would have quants and quant teams for risk or for particular, you know, uh, functions. But the last two surveys we've run, we've just seen this huge growth in the number of data scientists, you know, coming into, into the industry. And, you know, we ran the survey both to understand, like, what's happening about the role itself, but also what do they need? Like, as you said, it's an emerging industry, right? And it's emerging capability. So what do people want, right? What services do they need? What tools do they need? What kind of data do they need? What kind of projects are they working on? And so I think what we've seen is, and the sort of headline of this is that data scientists within the financial sector are really on the rise in a big way. And so the numbers have grown 260% increase since 2018, which is huge. And also a shift in terms of like, where are they? So they're moving from centralized, like shared functions to be embedded deeply within individual business units. And so, you know, really partnering with the businesses, different business units within financial. So we've seen a few shifts within that growth. And when we think of this workflow, I know your new research report is coined the rise of the data scientist. I recently ran uh, some workshops on surveying ML and AI and these modern data science workflows. And we have core titles that are now participating in this end-to-end workflow. You have the data scientist, the data engineer, the machine learning engineer, the software engineer, the product manager, even the site reliability engineer. But all these threads go back to the data scientists. So can you tell us about the maturing role of a data scientist in the firm and why now are we seeing the rise of the data scientist? So I think you're seeing the rise, as you said, in a couple of ways, right? One is that more and more business units. So when I say that, I guess I, I let me break that down. So the different use cases. So as I said before, market risk, 
credit risk. Those are areas that traditionally had quants and sort of you know senior analytics you know managers in in those things. And what you've seen is other functions, reporting and compliance, portfolio management, investment research and idea generation, trade execution, pre-trade. So we, we surveyed there's like dozen different types of use case where they've said they've realized both the technology is mature, the techniques are mature, but also the industry has said, you know, we need to get an edge uh, in these areas, either for efficiency or to generate alpha. So let's bring data science into that. And what you've seen data scientists having to do is not just crunch the numbers and build models, but also advise. How should you set this project up? How do we break down the business problem on the one side? So that kind of strategic direction of like, just how do we do this well? And the second part is how do we set up ourselves for success in terms of we're not just going to do like one model and be done. With machine learning, you're going to have to keep iterating over and over, and you're going to have to do monitoring and reporting. There's a governance element. There's a technology pipeline element to it. So poor data scientist is being stretched in all these different directions to provide this advice. And as you said, what you're seeing then is that strategic role of the data scientist is not just in how do I build this model, but it's also in how does a company set themselves up to understand the end-to-end flow around it. So that's the rise. It's rise in terms of numbers, but it's also rise in terms of the strategic input that data science experts are having on the direction of, of, of firms. And the classic dilemma we see with data scientists is where do they fit in an organization? Being involved with different startups and, and scale-ups, you'll see some teams that have one data scientist and some teams that have a hundred data scientists. And there's often these different modalities of running and scaling these teams from being centralized to hub and spoke to ad hoc and, and different plans of attack at every organization. I don't think any model is the best, but they're all really fascinating in how different teams and different industries deliver product at scale. Have you seen any trends on that for teams and organizational functions from this year's report? Yeah, we have. In fact, that's one of the stark things that that really jumped out when we saw the numbers is that the distribution, so that centralized model where it's like, hey, let's have a big centralized analytics team, all the data scientists here, that's shifted. So in 2018 report or 19 report, the average number of teams. So we surveyed 420 different people across the industry, everyone, the buy side, sell side, anyone over a billion dollars in revenue or AUM. So across all those kinds of firms, which I guess are slightly larger firms, the number of teams, is the number of data science teams grew from 2.7 to 7.1. So much bigger distribution. And I think that's driven because the data science capability needs to fit with the domain knowledge and expertise within those different functions. So as I was saying, right, what you need for pre-trade execution is very different from what you need for, you know, risk and compliance. So data scientists being embedded within those, those groups, I think that's the model that we've seen. But I think just like you've seen with data and data governance, where you would have maybe a distributed people working on data, but you'd have like a chief data officer with a kind of governance and oversight view. I think you have the same model emerging where you have kind of distributed data scientists in different teams, but you maybe have a centralized 
like analytics governance function, model governance function, something like that. So there's some centralization remains, uh, which could be about tooling or compliance and that kind of stuff. And then you've got the kind of embedding in uh, the different functions that kind of distributing. And so thinking about all these functions, I know I spitballed some titles before, you know, data scientist, data engineer, machine learning engineer, software engineer, product manager, site reliability engineer. Are you seeing any growth or evolution of some of these newer or more traditional roles that are supporting the infrastructure and data scientists? Absolutely. So look, I think definitely on the engineering side, the the ML operations it's funny because I think operations is kind of a dirty word in, in engineering, even though that's the stuff that is required to make sure things work. But the sort of ML ops or ML engineering, definitely we see a growth there, specialization there. It's difficult because you're trying to get data, somebody who understands enough about data science, models and stats and governance, but you know also is spending all day every day on the engineering side. So I think that's, that's a really interesting hybrid. I think a massive, where I think there's a big shortage actually in the industry in, in financial services is on data engineering. It's a really tight market right now for data engineering because, again, it's that bridge between understanding the data and the domain, understanding data science, and understanding the you know, database selection or the, the normalizations that need to be applied. So data engineering, absolutely huge growth, we think we're seeing there in the survey responses. And also, I think another shift, which is, the analytics management, right? So the sort of senior management who are kind of setting up these these groups, they're stretching their knowledge and their skill set, more technical folks moving into those kinds of roles. So definitely some development and also like traditional roles like quants. So in financial services, you've always had quant research and quants. And I think there's this dilemma around titles. Like, so if I'm a quant, do I stay as a quant or a financial engineer? Do I rename Myself as a data scientist, is that the right way to go? Or actually, as the data science market matures, people will go back and go, actually, you know what? That is a quant role. That's We need quants for this. And that is a visualization and business analysis role. So let's not call that a data science. Let's call that what it is. And then within data science, the specialization, or I'm an NLP expert, or I'm a vision expert, or I'm a you know, a time series you know, expert. Like There's there certain specializations that you're going to see within data science. So I think it's a really fluid time for some of these roles. And it can be confusing, I think, in the market, like for people trying to build their career. But I think what we see is certainly the data scientist that developing and maturing the strategic route, the engineering route, the data route, you know, the sort of business engagement route. So there's a lot happening, David. So I'm I'm just going to keep talking. But I think I think you and I are both fascinated by what we're seeing in this market. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. That's right. And I definitely think, as, as you mentioned, Jeff, that the data engineer is an essential growing role that's in partnership with the data scientist. At Single Store, we're building the next generation platform for scaled analytics, uh, pipelines, streaming for all analytics and transaction workloads. And we use technology like Kafka that you mentioned earlier in the show. We help minimize the infrastructure for DBAs so you can quickly spin up, you know, using our streamlined Terraform, Ansible, K8S, you know, Kubernetes, mm. any of that tech to very quickly get from code to insight. And so I've not only seen that at our work today at Single Store where we where we help, you know, the Super Bowl run in real time or help the ads that you're served on your media platforms or gaming platforms make personalized experiences. But like you said, it's it's across the whole industry. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing with analytics, we're seeing with quants just such a rise of new data and alternative data sets on both the buy side and sell side. And the challenge is, well, we think about ethics and ethical AI and human AI and human-centered AI. And where does this lead us to about the best approach for building strategies and building products? Do you think, are we moving to a place where we're going to have more standards or a more experimental nature? Well, I think there's both regulation and the threat of regulation that is going to come through around in these areas. So, of course, GDPR, which is huge in Europe and has been a massive shift around how do you manage any data set that has any personally identifiable information, you know, that's critical. But beyond that, the ethics of AI, where it's not just is your my model fair, but I think the role of the data engineer actually to come back to that is also, do I really understand my data source? Where has it come from? Has it been sourced, right, in an ethical way? So we've seen people scraping data. It's not licensed. You know, you're scraping data off of websites and it pretty clearly says, you know, do not scrape this data. Do you really want to build your, your strategy on that data? Or perhaps I'm pulling data from an alternative data provider who is actually, you know, monitoring individuals and their travel and where they go. And again, has that been anonymized? Is that an ethical thing to be doing? Right through to when we, we do a lot of work with, obviously, our text, right? So our news, our filings, our research documents, huge, massive, you know, professionally curated sets of, of unstructured data. But then if I apply a standard sentiment tool on that, you know, how biased is that sentiment? Does it account for gender? Does it account for um, language differences? And actually, if you look, there's a lot of interesting research in, you know, how you know, sentiment and so on is, uh, you know, hugely subjective, right? And I think that's an area where 
there's a lot of lot of you know future interest. But the regulation is going to come on things like lending and consumer retail and credit, and it you know, already is. But I think it will it will continue into all these other areas. So actually, we put out a paper around um, alternative data and considerations around alternative data sources. And I guess one of the things we always say is we'll come to Refinitiv and get, if you like, fully approved, signed off, you know, clean, clear, you know, data sets, rather than scraping a bit here and a bit there, you can come to a vendor like us and get actual professional data sources. And so I, I think that there's a role there for the data engineer in terms of sourcing and decision making about what data they want to bring in. But then also there's a there is a growing need to respond to not just governance it's it's here now, but anticipate the kind of governance that's going to be coming. Mm, and to even anticipate, you know, whether you want to buy, license, or build data and data products. Of course, this is the classic age-old problem that we see about in software technology. Do you build or buy? And that's where, you know, solutions that Refinitiv provides helps you minimize the need to maybe build some of these solutions. You can buy them off the shelf to scale. But it also means that traditionally the purchasing power at the buy side would often be at different, you know, managing directors or in different tech companies with the CIO or certain heads of divisions. But now there's this movement of this power and autonomy for data to the data scientist to say, you can be a decision maker, you can have added pressure to drive our strategy to be data driven. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I think really surprised us in the report, right? Because one of the questions we asked was, you know, again, the traditional market data manager, as they're called, the sort of purchasing or, or vendor sourcing person at a financial firm, they would normally be the one signing the contracts and doing the licensing and, and so on. And, you know, what you've seen because, you know, data is the differentiator and effective management of differentiator is differentiating either in reducing costs through automation or in terms of driving, you know, trading strategy. What you've seen is the data scientist actually being the one who's taking the lead in evaluating, in testing. Data scientists are saying 83% of the time they are the ones who are involved in trialing the data. But over 50% of the time, they're also the one who make the final decision in the data, right? Or they're involved. 50% of the time they're involved, and a third of the time they're the one who makes the final choice. So that's a big shift from where it was a couple of years ago. And so very much, as I say, that, that rise in strategic importance of data scientists in terms of making these, these final calls on the data. You know, there was um, a big report that came out a few years ago from McKinsey, and I remember it said along the lines, by 2030, 70% of companies will be AI-first companies in some capacity using a part of the AI technology. And I also remember that when this report came out, this was around 2015-2016, only about under 10 or 15% of companies said that they're even exploring AI technologies. I think something very shocking and supporting research from your report on the rise of data scientists shows that these numbers are getting closer today, even though we're not at 2030 yet. Yeah, I think the acceleration has, it's really taken off last in the last sort of 24 months. And I think the last year, 
where everybody's been at home and thought, right, hang on, I can't go visit my customer. I can't maybe make the same decisions that I would have made in person with my team. How do I get the data together to make those choices? And I think that's even accelerating that full, you know, end-to-end digitization. So I think if we do this, when we do the survey next year, I think we'll see it even maybe even further. But the, our survey said 72% of the businesses we talked to said that ML is a core component of their business strategy. And I think when you see it, it's not just a uh, paying lip service to that because they're actually following up with investment in the technology and tools and investment in the people and in the distribution, as I said, into the different business units. So capturing the data about the customer or understanding data about the wider market, feeding that into how I interact with my customer or how I define my strategy I think that's a really big piece, right? So at the moment, it's like, help me save some money with automation. Help me, you know, service this customer with a chat bot or help me, you know, comply with post-trade data regulation, whatever. But the next big step will be, how am I pulling all of that data together to inform like which business areas I even go after as, as a business unit? So I think that's like the next thing that we'll start to see in terms of actually driving changes in business strategy. But the growth is certainly there, and I normally never quite believe these forecasts from the providers, you know, from the, the consultants about where things are going. But in this case, I think they, they may well be right. And so, Jeff, as we're, you know, kicking into high gear in 2021, we're starting to look at the predictions for firms on AI tech strategy and data strategy. And you mentioned the next 24 months, we're going to see this continue to accelerate. What do you see ahead over these next two years? So I think like we've seen a huge adoption of, of NLP. And I think it's really coming of age now, right? Some of the, the new advances in, in the deep learning and word embedding models increase the accuracy of it, more availability of the tools, more appreciation of the use cases that it can serve and really deliver in terms of being being accurate. So I think you'll see NLP move front and center into the mainstream and it won't be seen as like an alternative thing or a, a niche thing. It's going to be a core capability. And I think there's been a huge focus on, you know, data science platforms, on, you know, automation of uh, model tuning and all kinds of different pipelines produced. I think there hasn't been the same level of investment in the data engineering side. In terms of, and when I say data engineering, I don't mean the, the pipelines or the database technologies. I mean the actual data itself. So how do we get better at cleaning the data? And I think cleaning the data is it's a wrong term. I think all of us need to stop saying cleaning the data. I think we need to break down what that means. You know, linking the data, enriching data, identifying outliers, filtering all the different steps that are actually incredibly valuable. How do we get better tooling and better standards around how we work with that data? So I think that will be the next thing. And I see a lot of investment, a lot of new startups, a lot of seed capital going into that area and watching that very closely. And then I think, as you mentioned, right, there's also that piece around, okay, so if we do all this work, if we're really scaling this up, how are we monitoring and making sure models still work? And obviously, COVID's been a big shock to that. And I think that's probably the other thing that, that we can talk more about. Yeah, as we think of post-pandemic world, I've spoken with a lot of alternative data providers and leading 
uh, funds and funds of funds and just data houses on the street, Wall Street and in New York City and in Connecticut. And, you know, companies have told me, you know, mostly off the record, of course, that, you know, how could a model have anticipated, right? I mean, <laughs> I started my career, Jeff, in actuarial science, and <laughs> I was building the models, doing the sensitivity analysis and and all the testing for here. But you can only generate so many models and so many scenarios. I guess the question is moving forward, are we going to always develop new models now that are going to take into account what do insurance policies call it? Like acts of God events, yeah, like COVID. Events, so COVID-20, yeah. yeah. COVID-21. Do we have to recalibrate for that? Yeah, it's so interesting. It reminds me of my, my, one of the first jobs. I was trying to sell a financial statement time series data to quants. And I go, so like, we've got 20 years of history. And they're like, that's, that's nothing. That's not enough. I need to back test back to the oil crisis in the 70s. And I'm like, nobody has you know financial you know, statement data or other data sets. Also, the world is so different. Like, why would you go and try to pick that event to backtest on? Because the market today is not the same as the market was back then. So our historical approach is go back and look at, you know, financial crisis, dot-com, boom, bust, you know, oil crisis, whatever those historical events were, and backtest our model, right? The problem is that when these catastrophic events happen, they're not the same shape as the previous one. Like, I was an economic student, right, uh, grad. So like this beautiful kind of the business cycle goes up and down in this nice way. And are we at the top or bottom? I don't think people really believe that anymore because it's such an uneven world. And so the approach you think you have to take is, you know, perhaps moving to more of like around a synthetic data approach. So how do I generate synthetic data that simulates as many different unusual scenarios as I can think of? And even beyond that, kind of use agent-based modeling or some other approach to simulate ideas that I can't come up with. Because if you can think of it, you can guarantee that it's something different that's going to, going to happen, right? So but by definition, if I come up with a list of unusual events, my model isn't going to cope with an unpredicted event because I've just tried to predict all the ones I can think of. So we've seen the rise of people trying to create data sets in a synthetic way and use agents and other techniques to try to generate, well, what, what else could happen? And the benefit of those is you're looking with today's market infrastructure of how your model would respond to that versus going back in time. You know, when people had 15-day holding periods, now you know, five-minute holding period for, for your stock. So I think that is going to be an interesting thing to see how people do that and how you say, yeah, my model's good. I've back-tested it on entirely synthetic data that predicted the future. I don't think anyone's quite ready for that. But I, I think that's what we're going to see. And, and I'm excited about the importance of data scientists and data engineers in, in, that are going to be part of that. That's right. And when you when you mentioned, uh, Jeff, about synthetic data, I, I think back to one of the key findings in your recent report is that back in 2018, almost 30% of firms did not use any alternative data. Now in 2020 and 2021, only 3% of firms who do not use alternative data. Yeah, and, and I think that's been a massive shift, you know, and I think the, the, the COVID is, has amplified that because traditional data sets, there's a, just a massive lag in when you start to see those signals. So if I can look at footfall, if I can look at job postings, if I can look at shipment data or satellite data, 
it's telling me stuff about the economy or about companies or about sectors now versus the government report that's coming out or versus you know somebody doing a forecast that's of you know various you know reliability i can actually get kind of like now casting from these alternative data sets because also it's just taken a long time for people to work out exactly how and where they apply that alternative data it's still patchy which countries which sectors which places it can apply so i think that's all only going to grow in use but also you have to match that against traditional data sets we found alternative data sets that brilliantly predict the things that the sell side already forecasts. And you're like, well, you know, that's not really helpful because <laughs> we already have that data. So you have to have both together to kind of get the full picture. But again, that's something that was alternative. Maybe it's not alternative anymore because everybody is, everybody is doing it. Well, we've only just started unpacking insights from the report on the rise of the data scientist from Refinitiv. Jeff, where can we learn more about all these trends and discover more of the insights? So you can um, find the report on Refinitiv.com on our website. And there's a labs page there as well. You can see all the details of our different projects. And yeah, Refinitiv.com forward slash ML report 2020. I think you can remember that. I'm sure you put it in the notes. But it's it's a great report, and I think you know I think we'll, we look forward to people commenting on it and giving us feedback on what they think and and what they see as the future. Well, I'm looking forward to the next report in 2021 to see as these trends continue to reaffirm our convictions, our thesis, and to generate more alpha for different companies in the financial sector and all sectors across the globe. Jeff Horrell, Head of Refinitive Labs from London within the London Stock Exchange Group. Thanks so much for joining us on the Humane Podcast. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. money and transform your home with new appliances now at menards we offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today check out top appliance brands including kitchenaid maytag whirlpool amana and criterion upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at menards shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com save big